Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're actually ready to be your own boss? I would like to invite you to join me for an online program that will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready. And if you're not quite ready, what do you need to do to get there? To find out more about my online program, please visit thehowofbusiness.com for more information. Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Stephen Floyd. Stephen, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. So Stephen is a business owner, he's a tax expert, and he's a best-selling tax author. Uh, he has over 25 years of experience saving taxpayers thousands of tax dollars via strategic tax planning and or by helping them resolve tax issues with the IRS. He's what's called an enrolled agent, that's a certain, certain IRS designation, and he'll explain that to us. And he's also a certified tax coach, and he's a certified QuickBooks Pro Advisor, a certified estate planner, and a regis registered investment advisor. Oh, and he's also an insurance agent. So I could have listed what he's not, probably easier than all of the <laughs> things he has expertise and certification is. The point is he's got a lot of experience in helping his clients in this area of tax guidance, tax advice, tax planning. Uh, what distinguishes Stephen from other financial prof professionals though, is this designation of certified tax coach. And so a certified tax coach is a designation that kind of groups together a group of professionals who focus on helping businesses and individuals save tax dollars. And so that's what we're gonna chat about today. Uh, Steven is the CEO and founder of Focus One Advisors. That's his current business, his firm. And so we'll chat about Steven's entrepreneurial journey and some tax tips and strategies for small business owners. Steven lives in Southern California. And so once again, Steven Floyd, welcome to the show. Thank you, welcome. So uh, let's start uh, where I usually start, which is back in college. If I got it right, you majored or got a, a bachelor's in finance, is that right? That is correct. So back then, what were, what were your plans? What were your aspirations? What did you think you would be when you grew up? Uh, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, when I got out of school, I felt that uh, this was a, an excellent opportunity for me to learn and go into other things. But uh, 
that education was instrumental. I was a, a finance business major, and I knew what I wanted to do, but I just didn't know the methodology to get there. But the things I learned in school were, were valuable. Yeah, and that, that's typical for a lot of people. It was for me. You know, I, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but didn't know quite how to get there. So after college, you didn't immediately become an entrepreneur. If I got it right, you went and worked, uh, especially in, in the commercial loan uh, field. Is that right? Actually, I started off as an accounts receivable auditor for Wells Fargo Bank and then ah, progressed up to a, a commercial loan officer at Wells Fargo. And then I went to work for a small independent bank. And what that really taught me is managing a portfolio of business accounts. And from that, I was able to determine, you know, really what's important to the entrepreneur. What reports do they look at? What reports do I look at? How do I evaluate their financial stability and ongoing progress? So that really gave me a good overall picture on how a business runs. Mm -hmm. And then you had roles as a CFO and a controller for a couple different organizations, correct? That is correct. Before I did that, I actually went out on my own and, and did some work uh, as an entrepreneur and unfortunately wasn't successful as a lot of businesses are. And then came back into the, the world where I needed to make money. And I had a background with other uh, companies in the construction and development field. So I was an ideal fit for a controller CFO with a uh, development company and a small drywall company. I see. So what was the business venture that, uh, that didn't work out? I got caught in the recession of 1982. I sold supplies to uh, graphic designers and artists. And for whatever reason, uh, they just weren't able to afford my equipment and my supplies, and one thing led to another. And to be frank with you, and I don't mind saying this to somebody, is I lost everything. And from that, I, I learned, you know, the real emotion when it comes to, you know, your family's involved, your 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 reputation's involved, and to have it all go under for things that you really can't control, and how you bounce back is the most important thing. So that in itself was probably the most learning point of view that I experienced in my life only because it was, it was very hard and very tough. So, you know, it, it, it gave me a lot of determination and more importantly, how do I fix things? Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. It's a, it's a great takeaway. And I've been through that as well. Now. So 82, this was not long after college, if I've got the dates, right? That's correct. And so did you go back to the corporate world because you needed to pay the bills at that point? Do you remember, if you think back to it, did you think, I'll come back and try again. I just need to go take care of my finances. Or at that point, did you say, all right, I tried it and that's not for me. What were your, what was your thinking back then? Well, I actually, I, I was devastated from this, uh, from this event. And when I was in the actual corporate world, I, I found myself working for a company in the construction industry and they cut my hours down to about four days a week. And I just said, well, I'd just take a class at H&R Block and see if I like this tax thing. Mm, and one thing led to another where I began doing tax work during tax season. Then I'd be able to pick up accounting work, which I was good at. And before you know it, I'm starting to have clients that I'm able to work with. And that's how I got my start. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that gave you then the ability to segue back into starting your own firm, I gather. That's correct. Yeah. And so that around 1998 is when you again started your own practice. Is that right? Correct. And so what was that practice? What did you primarily do initially? Initially, I started off during tax season just working for a fellow doing tax returns. But then I would get a lot of referrals for people that needed uh, accounting work, uh, not CFO work, but just nuts and bolts accounting that I was able to do. And I was very fortunate. The fellow that I was working for, he was moving out of the area and he sold me uh, a book of business. So I was able to get that business. And as you know, in tax season, you know, you, you make your hay during the tax season and you don't have that pressure to earn money after tax season. 
So I was able to, to do that and, you know, learn other things after taxation, such as accounting, wealth management and whatnot. So this is what that taught me during that period of time. Yeah, it's fantastic. So Stephen, then how did it evolve to what you're offering today, which is a, a complete package of service, but in, but in prim, primarily it's the, the tax strategies, the tax advising component of it. How did you come to that? Well, I, I stepped back and I said to myself, what am I good at? What do I like? And what do people want? And from that, I found my, my niche was obviously the tax and accounting work. But then I said, you know, clients are always asking me other questions related to finance. And the way I've structured my business model going forward, I would like to be thought of as a quarterback of a football team. Uh, there's not a financial question, concern, or thing that I can't deal with or have the associations to deal with no matter what happens in your financial life, whether that's doing a, a retirement plan if you're retiring, if you need the books or payroll done, uh, if you need to uh, help you refinance your house, I've got referrals there. So any of those types of aspects, I want to be the go-to person. And the unique thing about this, and I want to stress this, is that with that overall view as a quarterback, you understand how the parts work. And I'll give you an example. If you inherited a million dollars today and you wanted to invest it or do something with it on a conservative basis, and you go to your bank, your banker's going to say, well, why don't we just put that in a CD? Well, that sounds good. Hmm. So then we'll go, well, I don't go to a, how about a money manager? The money manager's going to say, well, I'll just go to uh, the market and put it in some sort of bonds. Then you go to an annuity salesman and he'll say, let's put it in an annuity. But all three of those are trusted advisors, but they're all putting them in different products predicated on what they sell. It doesn't matter to me what I sell because I can do all of that. I'm more concerned on what's best for you. That's my bottom line. Yeah. So are you in a fiduciary situation in those cases? Is that Absolutely. how you work? Yeah. And explain what that means, because I think most of our listeners, and it's not that I'm an expert on it, I just happen to have you know, learned a little bit about it, but what does that mean and why is that so important? The, the I mean, you, you touched on it, obviously. Sorry to, yeah. sorry to interrupt. You touched on it, but if you could explain that again, because I think it's such a critical takeaway for our listeners. The, the basic gist of it is, is, as a fiduciary, you have to put the client's interest above yours. And there are times when there might be a conflict. Now, I'll give you an example of that. Let's say you... you uh, working with somebody and they want to uh, buy or purchase an annuity. Now, as a fiduciary, I'm going to get the best annuity at the lowest fees. Now, if you're dealing with an agent, that agent might want to promote something with the highest commission. I can't promote that because I have to do what is right in your best interest. My being paid is secondary to what you get, whereas a traditional insurance agent, that's not their real concern. They want to put you in a product, but if they can make a couple extra dollars by putting you in a longer term annuity, they might be tempted to do that. They don't have that responsibility to do what's right for you. Right. They have the the objective, actually, and the incentive to sell you. Uh, on, That's and they're going to be motivated by where they make the most money. And it's it's a big difference. And I think most people are not aware of that. Right. I, I have an analogy. Uh, it's, it's kind of a cute one. I, I said, if I'm a car salesman and I sell one red car in my car lot, when you walk into my car lot, you're going to buy one red car because mm -hmm. I don't sell anything else. Right. But that red car might not be what you really want. Yeah, no, it's a great analogy. All right, so Focus One Advisors, was that the name of the business from day one or did it evolve into that? It evolved into that. I had some other business names and looking at ways to uh, present myself to the marketplace, should I do it you know, on a fragmented basis and just focus in on, on taxes and accounting or should I do wealth management? But over the last two years, I said to myself, really, what do you do and, and how would you position yourself to be unique? And my unique model is the fact that I like to be a more general type of financial professional. 
I know everybody watched like uh, Susie Orman and people like that. I'm not an orator like that, but what I am is I'm confident in knowing all the things that they do and what is really right for the general public. That's kind of my approach, but obviously I make a living off of the products and services that I promote. Yeah, fantastic. All right, we'll start to dive into some of these topics specifically, but before I do, I just want to give a bit of a disclaimer to our listeners, and that is that obviously myself, I am not a CPA, I'm not an attorney. Uh, Stephen is here to share some thoughts, some guidance, his best practices that he's observed with his clients, but he doesn't represent you, the listener. And so it's important that before you were to take any action on anything we talk about today in your business or in your personal finances, accounting, taxes, that you consult with your own counsel, whether it's your attorney or your CPA or your own tax advisor. So just want to make sure that's clear to our listeners before we get into this topic. And so with that said, I'd like to start maybe, Stephen, with some of those common mistakes that you observe when you first meet with clients when it comes to this big topic of taxes. Let's keep it, if we could, in the realm of the small business owner who is our listener sure. and some of those common sure. mistakes you see. Sure. But let me make a comment on your disclaimer because that's very important. Quite often I am approached and people start asking me specific tax questions to what they want to do. Now, I cannot answer them in, in a very specific way. It's, it's like if you have a, a medical problem and you call up your doctor and say, doctor, I have a problem. The doctor's going to say, make an appointment, come in, and let's evaluate you. I am the same way. I can't answer your questions over the phone specifically, and I don't want to be you know, glib or anything like that. You have to come in and we have to establish a baseline for us to talk. So it's very important that you understand when you're talking with a professional like myself and they are you know, not answering questions specifically, it's because they can't because they have a responsibility to themselves and their profession. So I just wanted to make that very clear. Yes, thank you. But answering your second question, or actually your first question, the biggest mistakes that owners make, for a fact, without a doubt, is not having a plan. You know, everybody has a plan, whether you build a house, uh, you have a retirement plan. Taxes are the biggest expense in your life. So why don't you do your best to manage that? And it doesn't have to be a, a tough process, an expensive process, but it's a process that needs to be done. And so what are some of the components of that plan? Because when you say that, there's nothing usually as a small business owner that I have as a point of reference, except for my marketing plan, my my budget, my business plan initially. So give me a little bit more color so I can visualize what is this tax plan typically look like at a high level? At a high level, what we need to do is distinguish the kind of dollars that you receive. You receive post-tax dollars and pre-tax dollars. What I try to do is what do you put in your pocket, and that's on a personal nature, at the end of the day? Yes, I can help you with regards to how you run your business and, and profit margins like that. But when it comes to actually putting money in your pocket, some of the strategies that I employ go at the personal level, but most of them go at the business level. And what I try to do with my client is sit down with them and say, if you don't do anything, your tax liability is X. However, if we in, uh, initiate some of these strategies or all of these strategies, here's your tax savings. Now, you have a decision to make you want to proceed and execute the plan that I've given or not. And I want to emphasize one other point. When I give a plan to somebody, it is a written document that's backed up with IRS code and other tax documents that are important for you to validate what I'm giving to you is an actual verifiable legal way to do a deduction or credit or whatever it might be in, in this case. So know that I, I back that up. The, the actual you, plan, no, go, no, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
the actual plan itself, it's a rather lengthy document, and I charge for that plan, but to understand where you're at first, there's no charge for that. So the plan is a written document, and it's something that's actionable on, and you can do whatever you want with that plan. Go back to your CPA or do it yourself or have me help you. So it, it's something that it, it's a good guide. Yeah, no, perfect. And and I think you've mentioned before, and it makes sense, don't come to you in January to plan for the previous year. You, you want to have done that at the beginning or maybe even before that year begins, and then it's a continuous process, right? It's, it's obviously a continuous process, and some of the systems and controls that I have are rather unique to me as a tax coach, but only to myself because of the software that I use. On an ongoing basis, I sit down with my clients either halfway or three-quarters through the year, and I project out what their tax liability is. And I tell them, if you do this, you're saving this. If you do this, you'll be able to save that. I can, I can guarantee you, if you sat down with me as an entrepreneur, I can guarantee you, I can get your tax liability down to $1 no matter what. No matter what your tax situation, no matter what's happening, I guarantee you I can get your tax liability down to $1. Yeah, that's, that's saying a lot there. But it'd be pretty hard for you to do that in January for the previous year, I suspect. Absolutely, yes. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're actually ready to be your own boss? I would like to invite you to join me for an online program that will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready. And if you're not quite ready, what do you need to do to get there? Perhaps you need help understanding and overcoming your fears. Maybe you're not entirely sure about what it really takes to be ready, willing, and able to become your own boss. My online program is about helping you take the first critical steps towards realizing your dreams of entrepreneurship. I will take you step by step through a process that will help you determine if you are in fact ready to be your own boss and specifically identify what you need to do next. To find out more about my online program, please visit thehowofbusiness.com for more information. So you touched on it and you talk about, uh, and I'd like you to explain the difference between a deduction and a credit. Uh, deduction is reduces your taxable income, where a credit reduces the amount of tax that you pay. So let's work through the math real quick. So let's say you, you have $100,000 of income and then you have deductions of $20,000. You'd have taxable income of $80,000. Now let's say the tax on that hypothetically might be $10,000. And if you have a credit, that's $10,000 that you owe the IRS based on your adjusted gross income and your deductions. However, with the credit and you own the $10,000, the credit reduces the amount that you actually owe down to whatever the uh, net credit might be. So instead of owing the $10,000 in actual dollars, you might only owe $5,000 in actual dollars. A big thing, credits are always a good thing. And what's typically, what's an example of a source of a credit? With most people, it has to do with, with kids, their education, uh, sale of other types of assets that they might get a credit for. So they're based at the, the personal level as opposed to the business level. There are some credits that are meant for manufacturers and certain areas that you can take advantage of. But to be honest with you, most of the people that I deal with, 
aren't in that category to take that type of business credit. Mm -hmm. It's usually at the personal level. Yeah. But again, that's where the planning comes into play because you need to you need to have projected, planned for, and and kind of work on making sure that that's to your advantage or that you're going to be able to take advantage of that come filing time. Correct. Okay, so generally speaking, I think it's some of it is obvious, but for those people who maybe are considering creating a legal entity under which they will operate, what what are some of the tax advantages that business ownership provides us? Okay, good question. The concept that I try to, to preach to my clients is that uh, you as a W-2 owner, excuse me, a W-2 earner, what you'll do is you go out and you earn your wages, you'll pay your taxes, and then you'll fund your lifestyle. Whereas the entrepreneur will earn his wages, fund his lifestyle, then pay his taxes. Mm. And from that, there there is a, a myriad of deductions that you are legally, and I want to stress the word legally, able to take when you do have a business. However, it has to be a bona fide business. It can't be a hobby that you do on the side and you're using it to uh, to, to write off certain expenses. That That's a big no-no in the IRS's eyes. It's got to be a bona fide business. And one of those qualifiers to it not being a hobby is how long you can go without making uh, a profit on paper or qualify that for me. It, typically, the IRS would want to look for a company that's that turns profitable in about three years. And if they're looking at an individual that's just doing this on a part-time basis, that's a red flag. If they're looking at individuals that are uh, having their deductions exceed their income, so they augment or offset their taxable income, that's a big red flag, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So some of those things they're looking at, and they obviously the industry that you're in and what you're doing is a big red flag. Yeah. But to your point, it's you, as you put it so eloquently, it's it's the matter of, of our, as a business owner now, the tax code allows us to, to as you said, pay for our lifestyle first and then pay taxes. Now, that's, that's a broad generalization or description of it, but that's the advantage. And, and the code is designed that way. It's, it's, encouraged, it's designed to encourage business ownership and expansion because that means we invest and we buy assets and it encourages us to own things like real estate, right? You know, it's funny, the IRS code is about a foot thick, 70,000 pages. And the first portion of the code kind of defines income. But 95% of the code is deductions and taxes. Interesting. Yeah, that tells you a lot, doesn't it? Yep. All right, tell me about deferring taxes out as far as possible and an example of how we might be able to do that. There's some specific tax strategies with regards to the sale of real estate that are rather new, and I don't want to get into the intricacies of those. But ways that we defer uh, taxes would be, number one, to have some sort of retirement account set up. And when I counsel people for the right type of retirement plan, people always seem to you know, want to listen to their friend or their buddy saying, oh, I need to get the 401k or put it in the SEP. Well, that's not always the case. There are other plans that might be more viable that give you a better tax advantage as far as deductions and or putting more money in your pocket and deferring the tax to later years. Now, that being said, I've come across many times where an individual will say, I'm maxing out my 401k, I'm doing everything that I can, and is there anything else that I, I can do? And what I tell the client at that point in time is this, would you rather pay tax on the harvest, in other words, down the road, or would you rather pay tax on the seed today, which is a lot less? So if you had that tax deduction today, you're looking for it to grow down the road, but you're going to be paying a huge tax. Now, that being said, I might make a point where why don't we not do a tax-deferred type of strategy? Why don't we put it in some vehicle that will grow out 
completely tax-free, such as a Roth. And then when you do take it out, it's, it's free for you. So it all depends on the facts and circumstances of the individual. Yeah. Everybody is different. Yeah, no, that's such a key takeaway, but those are some good ideas. And there's all, I was going to say that there's these different opinions as to whether you take the tax now versus later, with the argument mm-hmm. being that taxes might rise. But you touched on a key component that has to be factored into that decision, and that is the value of compounding that pre-tax amount and then dealing with the taxes later. Right. Uh, so there, it's just there, every situation is unique, but that's where someone like you can help an individual and a business owner make the decision that's right for them. And, and furthermore, that's right for them this year, which might be different than what it is next year. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Income shifting techniques. That sounds shifty, but tell us <laughs> what that means and how maybe an example of how that might be done. Well, uh, you might want to shift income from Let's say if you're a sole proprietor or an S corporation and you want to take advantage of paying all your medical bills and you you make too much money to actually deduct them on Schedule A, what you might want to do is shift the income if you're a sole proprietor or an S corporation to maybe your wife. Your wife goes out and buys the insurance plan and she insures not only yourself but your kids. That's shifting income from you to her and she would pay a nominal tax on that as far as the W-2 is concerned. But that's just one example of doing that. Hiring your kids might be another way. What you're doing when you income shift is you're, you're taking those tax dollars that you would normally pay for, whether it's school for the kids, medical, whatever the case might be, and you're deducting them on your business tax return. Yeah. That's the important thing to know. Okay, very interesting. All right. But you've got to know how what, good, good but you got to know how to do it, and you've yeah. got to know how to document that so when the IRS knocks on your door, you're bulletproof. Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole documentation thing is such a big one, Stephen, and I see business owners making that mistake with, with everything, with their deductions, with, with all of these things, because they just have such poor record keeping for all kinds of different reasons. And that, that can be a killer, can it? It can be. And you've got to understand one thing. I see this day in and day out. I've seen so many people bring me a stack of paperwork or, or an Excel spreadsheet. I mean, literally for like $12 a month, you can have QuickBooks online and have everything up to date, current, and it's easy and cheap to do this. I mean, if you are anywhere tech savvy, this is something I, I beg my clients to do. I mean, it makes life easier for all of us. Yeah, there's, there's no, there really is no reason not to do it. I, I agree with you completely. Um, all right, so we talked about some of the tax advantages of business ownership, but for a lot of us as small business owners, we either related to the business or unrelated, we, we try to invest in real estate. And of course, there's advantages there as well, right, from a tax perspective. Yes, in the book that I uh, authored, my portion of the book uh, was having to do with real estate. And from my point of view, when, when you're younger, the first thing you want to do is, is buy that home. Uh, after you get to that, then other real estate investments will always pan out in the long term. And the reason you buy real estate are, are, are three reasons. One, the tax write-off because of the depreciation, the appreciation on the property, and the actual cash flow. So if you can definitively answer those questions, then purchasing real estate would make sense, whether it's an investment property, uh, your personal home, or anything along those lines. But the advantages are if you make a certain amount of money or less, you're able to write off some of the losses on that property. However, if you make over a certain amount of money, and that would be over $100,000, you cannot deduct that. You bank those deductions, and when you sell your property, you can take them then. Still, it's a good thing, but the tax advantage is not your real play there. What your real play is, a, you've got to have some sort of positive cash flow, 
but you're betting on the appreciation. And we all know that real estate goes up, up and up. However, if it's in 2008, it went down, down and down. Right. So you have to understand the overall business risk when you do that. You just don't buy into a bull market. You really got to do your homework. Yeah, you do. And it has to be a long-term play as well and mm -hmm. not get caught up as, you know, I'm included in the greater fool bubble markets that existed before 2008 in certain sectors. Um, and I've had several, not several, but probably about a handful of clients that are the proverbial house flippers. Mm -hmm. And the, the scorecard on them is real simple. Half of them work, half of them don't. Mm, interesting. Okay, so we touched on being audited, and I, as I was doing the research, I know you've spoken about this. You, you mentioned in another interview, I believe, that you've seen an uptick in auditing or a focus on it again. Tell, tell us about the current environment and what the potential risk is for a small business owner to be audited. Sure. The auditing rates and the way they look at are all determined by Congress, how much Congress gives the IRS for budgets. And then it's up to the IRS to figure out how do we allocate those dollars. And what the IRS has done very recently in the last year or so is they are now gearing up to audit the business tax returns. Not so much the Schedule C's, but the S corporations and the corporations. What they felt from their studies is a lot of people are doing things incorrectly and trying to avoid a lot of the tax. So they're training people at this point in time and they're hiring people at this point in time to focus in on that market. Now, statistically speaking, in the past, an S corporation or C corporation's audit rates are below typically 1%. The Schedule C, you're probably at about maybe 2 or 3%. So that's part of the reason why you incorporate. But now you're going to be looked at a little bit more stringently. So just be aware of that. Are there certain, uh, quote-unquote, triggers or things that might get us more exposed? Sure. The biggest hot button that I see nowadays on an S corporation is having what they call adequate compensation. And that is an art from my point of view. How much compensation can you take out and not, and, and then the rest goes to the bottom line and not pay self-employment tax? In fact, I'm going through an audit right now with the state of California where they're questioning the amount of money that was taken out as far as a W-2 and the rest that passed through that was just subject to regular taxable income. So this is something that they're really looking at. So when you come down to figure out how much payroll you're going to take at the end of the year on an S corporation, understand one thing. It's, it's, it's not a hard and fast rule. Yeah, that, that's what makes it so challenging. Yes. Um, if I do get an audit notice, what should I do? Well, first thing you should do is not represent yourself and, and talk to a professional to help you represent yourself. But you've got to understand a few things if you're a business owner. Very basic. The first thing I tell a business owner, open up a separate checking account. Do bank reconciliations on a monthly basis and have adequate records. You don't want to go back when you get audited and recreate all those records. You, you, you'll miss things and it won't be correct. And to be frank with you, when an auditor looks at somebody, a corporation or a business, the first thing they look at is how clean are those records? Mm -hmm. If you don't have bank recs, they're going to ask a lot more questions. If, it's, you know, if you don't have adequate receipts, more questions. So the more that you're able to give them that's for their standards, the less they're going to leave you alone. But if, if, if you don't have those records, it's, it's an open field day and they'll pick you apart. So that's been your experience. If I can oh, show, look, I have it. I have everything in a row. I have all my I's dotted, all my T's crossed. I have it all documented. That makes that goes a long way to get on experience. Correct. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Very good, great. Thanks for those tips and advice. I want to take a, a shift back to more personal. I'd like to ask you if you think back, and we may have touched on a couple of these. If you think back in your life, Stephen, can you think of a decision you made? that has then had significant impact 
now on your life or on your business, something you decided to do or not to do back in life earlier in life? Sure. I, I alluded to this at the very beginning of our conversation. When I faced adversity and I lost, I mean, I had a beautiful house in, in the city of Yorba Linda. I had a new Mercedes. I had a young child, a beautiful wife. Uh, and I was 30 years old. I was on top of the world. Within a year, I had a single apartment, divorced, and driving a truck. Mm. So that's how far I felt. Yeah. But the important thing that I learned is how do you pick yourself back up? I mean, a fighter, it's not how hard you hit. It's how how well you get back up. That's the biggest thing that I learned from that experience. Yeah, love that. What do you love most about what you do today? I love to tell people that you are going to save X amount of dollars, whatever it is, and now you can take that money and go out and fund that vacation. You can buy your daughter's uh, wedding now. You could do something that you didn't think you were going to do because you took money out of the IRS's pocket and put it back in your pocket. That, to me, is significant. Yeah, it's fantastic. All right, so, so we've touched on the services that you all offer, but give me the, the quick elevator pitch on what Focus One Advisors offers as clients. I help entrepreneurs, business owners, save their tax dollars via strategic tax planning. And I meld that in with other services that are necessary. But you're coming to me to save tax dollars, and that's what I do. I save the entrepreneur tax dollars. Fantastic. All right, is there a book that uh, you think of that you would like to recommend to our listeners? You know, it's so funny. i, I got to make a comment on this. I found this particular book, oh, towards the end of last year, and I, I read the whole thing on vacation, and I'm reading it for the second time. And, you know, it was recommended to me by a friend, and it's called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Any entrepreneur, that should be your Bible. You need to read this, not because of the nuts and bolts of business, because how to establish your vision and how other people have achieved their goals. It's a lot easier patting yourself after somebody as opposed to going out and trying it yourself. Learn from other people. And that's what this book tells you. And it's just, it's a great read and it's uh, something I highly recommend. Yeah, it's a fantastic book and it's been recommended many times because it's just, I think everybody has the same opinion on it when they read it. And most people tell me the same thing, that they read it multiple times. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll have a link to that as well as to your books on the show notes page for this episode, if you didn't catch that. So we'll wrap it up with this, Stephen. Last parting piece of advice or thought or something I did not ask that you think we should have chatted about. Um, Feel free to to, to contact me. and Don't be intimidated by what I do or how I do it. Uh, I'm I'm sure you'll get the contact information from from yourself there. But, But call somebody. Ask questions. That's how you grow as an entrepreneur is the network of people that you work with, whether it's me, another tax professional, an attorney, contact those people and do as much of your homework as you can before you do anything as far as an entrepreneur is concerned. Yeah, it's great advice. You find, uh, like I find, that, that people are kind of, I want to say that maybe it's intimidated or just scared or they don't know what questions to ask, but but they kind of just blindly take the guidance from maybe the CPA they've been working with forever and they never seem to get even a second opinion. It, well, when you go to your doctors uh, and, you, and you have an ache, are you uh, are you worried about the worst case scenario? Yes. Mm-hmm. Are you insecure? Yes, absolutely. But what my job is to, is to make you feel comfortable, but more importantly, is to educate you so you can make an intelligent decision. Now, whether I recommend this, that, or the other thing, it doesn't matter. What does matter is you understand the decision that you're making. Yeah, great point. 
All right, where would you like people to go to find out more about you online and about Focus One Advisors? Uh, you can go to my website, www.focusoneadvisors.com, and that's the number one, not a spelled out one. And it's filled full of, I think, uh, excellent information. I, I blog on a, on a weekly basis now. Uh, that's something that you can glean from that. I'm easily acceptable on that. And I've got some real neat resources that might be valuable that are for free. Yeah, it's, it is a great website. I spent some time on it, obviously, doing the research. If you didn't get that, we'll have a link to it on the show notes page as well. Stephen, thank you so much for taking this time to be with us, sharing this knowledge, giving us some things to think about. If nothing else, that's what I would encourage my listeners is that these these are things maybe you hadn't thought about, these tax planning and, and tax strategies. So I challenge you to at least read about it, learn about it, go to Stephen's website, educate yourself, and then start asking some questions at a minimum. So, Stephen, thanks for being with us today. You're welcome, Henry. You take care. This is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream. This is your moment. Your moment to move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years, Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead, so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef.